scripture reading this morning is Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Let us um, hear God's holy and infallible word. This is Jesus speaking. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. That's God's word for us this morning. As we're, believe it or not, already getting closer to the end of summer, we're also getting closer to the end of our study, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is no doubt the greatest sermon ever preached. We want to be blessed. And this sermon tells us who is blessed and how to have that life of blessing. And the problem is that over the centuries, people have found the Sermon on the, on the Mount is impossible to follow. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not get angry. Be meek. Be a peacemaker. Well, the only way this sermon works or makes any sense is in Jesus. Jesus preached it, and he lived it perfectly all the way to the cross where he took on our sin and our failures to live for God and where he won for us his righteousness. And when we call on Jesus' name in our need, his spirit is ours, and he allows us and he empowers us to really start living this out. And that's the only way it works. Chapter 6 of our study showed us that the key is living our life in the Father's sight. Chapter 6 talked about that quite a bit. Coram Deo is the special Latin phrase that we use for that. Coram Deo, before God's face. We want to do what pleases us. We care a lot about what other people think of us. And what we need reminding of is that what God thinks of us and how we act towards him, that's always the main thing in life. We forget this. We forget that the world is not our end goal. We think this life is all there is. When the Bible says we're on a pilgrimage, we have an eternal prize, we've got an eternal destiny. And and so Jesus' disciples make personal decisions and choices based on the fact that living in God's sight is where it's at. Decisions about how we spend our time, about what words will come out of our mouth, about our money, about our families, we base them on the Father and his kingdom. We live in the presence of God. We're going to see him face to face one day. We forget this, and that's why it's so important to to stay connected to the Lord through his word, through prayer. Worship with the family of God is so important to help us to remember this, 
to not forget, to get recalibrated. You need that, and you know that. I need that, and I know it too. In our verses, Jesus is showing us what living before God's face means in terms of the people we see around us. There's a lot in this sermon about the world, our personal life, prayer, giving, and all that, but how does God the Father want you to view other people and think of them? And our problem is that we have a tendency toward one of two extremes when we look at people around us. The solution is a balanced view that the Bible gives us. First of all, what are those extremes? One of them is what Jesus warns against here. The other is how people today generally and wrongly tend to interpret Jesus' words. Do not judge or judge not lest ye be judged from an older translation is a very well-known phrase. In fact, I was talking about this a little bit with with Jonathan, our new youth director, a few days ago, and he told me this past week um, that famous theologian D.A. Carson says in his introduction to the Gospel of John, which has John 3.16, for God so loved the world, most famous verse of all. Well, he says, you know, I don't think in our day and age that's the most famous or well-known verse anymore. I think it's this do not judge. Judge not, says Jesus. There are, and there are always critics in life. Once uh, two taxidermists, I don't see two taxidermists walking together often, but in this case, There are two taxidermists who stopped before a window where an owl was on display. And they immediately began to criticize the way it was mounted. Its eyes were not natural. Its wings were not in proportion with its head. Its feathers were not neatly arranged. Its feet could be improved. And when they'd finished with their judging, with their criticism, the old owl turned his head and and winked at them. But to be... Critical to have this very critical eye, that's a real human tendency. We're critical of our leaders. We're critical of one another. We're critical, for sure, of our sports teams. And uh, we can be so hard on others, so negative. And, And you know, in a sick way, I think being critical of others can make us feel better about ourselves. I think that's why we do it sometimes. And Christians can be this way too. The religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, sure were this way. And that's why Jesus is talking about it here and directs a lot of the stuff in the Sermon on the Mount to them, to religious people. And here's how it can happen to us, I think. Think about this with me. All this stuff that we've been talking about in, in the Sermon on the Mount, giving, do not worry, pray, pray in secret, storing up treasures in heaven. When we make spiritual progress, and hopefully we are, that's good, but that can have a possible side effect if we're not careful of making us feel just a bit superior. 
And this happens all the time in life. Uh, we, we lose weight, and then we look at someone who's struggling with their weight, and we just shake our heads, the poor guy. I mean, I could do it. I had the discipline to exercise and control my diet and life. Too bad he can't. In our spiritual life, too, we can say, well, look, look at how he frets and gets anxious. Thank the Lord I know how to put my trust in him. Or would you believe that they listen to that kind of music? Would you believe that they're watching those types of shows? Or I, I'm sure glad that I'm not that worldly. I'm sure glad my choices are very superior. Or look how often I'm in church compared to the average Christian in America today. And we can feel just a bit superior. Pride creeps in, and it seems to me that's exactly the sort of thing Jesus is getting at. People in the world, you know, seem to have this view that Christians are judgmental people. I think, I think the world gets a whole lot wrong when they look at us, a whole lot. But maybe they're right about us on this matter of judging. I mean, Jesus himself certainly seems to think it's an issue. That's why he's bringing it up. But in an effort to keep this verse and to keep this calling, we can't swing to the other extreme. And that's what I think most of our culture is doing today. And, and I think one of the reasons this verse is so popular in America today is that people interpret it to mean we should never have an opinion. We can't make judgment about right and wrong anymore. Judge not for the world can mean tolerance of anything and everything. Any lifestyle is okay. There's no sin. You be you. You know, I've heard that phrase. I kind of like that phrase, actually, if you understand it right. I think you can use it in a Christian way. Um, I've heard you be you used among friends. And I can just imagine uh, my girls, uh, especially I'm thinking my older ones, Hannah and Olivia, hanging out with their friends. And you know how it is when you've got a group of friends. Each friend has their own quirks, right? Uh, but you love them anyway. And among friends, you do something goofy, but it's appreciated by others, and, and someone says, hey, you just keep being you, girl. You just keep being you. That's great. But I think there's a worldly way to use that phrase, too, and it's to let anything go in life. Hey, I'm born this way. This is my personality, good or bad. Yeah, I get a little hot under the collar. I get fire. I get I got a temper. That's who I am. That's who God created me to be. You just be you can mean to people today, it's all good, no need to change. You're perfectly beautiful in every single way, all on your own. You don't need to change. And that means, in effect, you don't need Jesus, which, of course, is totally opposed to the whole message of the Bible. But that idea of judge not. That's not what Jesus had in mind. We're called to be discerning as a people. We're called to know and evaluate right and wrong. John, the one called the apostle of love, and he's in his epistles, especially in 1 John, talks about love, love God, love others, love, 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 love. And he warns against false teachers in the world and in the church. And so we are to judge, in a sense, 
right doctrine, right teaching from wrong teaching. And people today would call that intolerance, though. And in Matthew 18, which gives us that uh, wonderful path to follow when we've got an issue with someone in life, that's the biblical way. It says, if, if someone sinned against us, Jesus says, you go to him, discuss it to make things right. If he doesn't listen, take a friend with you, try to convince him to listen. Then if he still refuses, then you bring in the church. If there's still no repentance, consider him a heathen. Have nothing more to do with him. Well, that's making a judgment of sorts. And of course, verse 6 feels like it's out of place, that last verse we read, right? But here's how it fits in. It wouldn't make sense if Jesus means we are to be not discerning. It wouldn't make sense if Jesus is saying, and do not judge, there is no right and wrong. Verse 6 is tough, but Jesus seems to be saying something about the wisdom of continuing to share God's message of grace with people who continually refuse it and reject it. And, And Jesus is saying there, be wise, Shake the dust off from your sandals, as he says somewhere else. Spread the gospel elsewhere. Look for where the ground is fertile. So do not judge is is not don't be discerning. It's not saying there's no right and wrong. It's about having a spirit that condemns others, a self-righteous spirit that looks down on those around you. It's a spirit of superiority, a spirit that maybe takes delight in finding fault. But yet, we must be discerning of believers. The extreme of a worldly UBU is also a problem. The spirit of our age that says there's no right and wrong. We have to resist that spirit of the age. Continue to be discerning while not going to the extreme of hypercriticism. What comes to mind uh, on this, for me, where this is is a particular challenge, it's for for the church, for uh, uh, is Christian parenting, raising our kids in this age. And we do that as families, the church together. Our kids are living in a UBU society, the worldly definition of UBU now I'm talking about. We've got to help them see right from wrong. And they'll only learn that from you, moms and dads, through your clear instruction, by you putting them in places to experience the truth of God's word. Now, we don't tell our kids how to think, but we raise them and we show them how to think biblically speaking to help them be discerning and gain that and grow in that. But we don't want to raise judgmental, superior, prideful people either. And so, As parents, a particular challenge that we're called to, we teach our kids the truth in love, we say, right? The truth in love, and that will help keep that balance. We're called to the balanced view, I said, that avoids the extremes. Jesus tells us how to live properly before God's face as we look at people. And the solution is, starts and maybe ends with viewing ourselves correctly. Jesus talks in our verses about the speck of sawdust we point out in another's eye while there's a plank in our eye. And that's a picture for sin. 
The question is, what is Jesus talking about here? What's he saying? What does he mean to say that what's in our eye is greater than what's in our brother's eye? Is he talking about when we maybe did a sin that was much worse than the other person? Well, I don't think that's quite it. I think most likely the plank or the log in our eye refers to our own sin before our holy God. Remember, Jesus is always calling us to live in God's sight, quorum Deo. Compared to how we've sinned against God, other people sin against us. It's just a speck of sawdust. It's not, it's something, but it's not a whole lot compared to our sin before our God, every one of us. How dare we be critical of others? When we've got issues ourselves, deal with that first. As the plank needs to be pulled out of our eyes, sin needs to be cleansed from our hearts. And the way for that to happen, God's word says, is for us to come to the point of being broken, humbled before our God, knowing we need his forgiveness, knowing that because of God's great grace, our sin can be removed. Then our sight is cleared up. Instead of being blinded by our pride, When we see other sinners, instead of condemning them, it breaks your heart because you know firsthand how terrible sin is. You know how sin weighs you down. You know how sin messes you up, how it can break you, how it can pull you away from God and others. And so a child of God is not hard on others. We have sympathy for anyone struggling with the consequences of sin. When we face the log of sin ourselves, receive forgiveness from God and Jesus, had our eyesight cleared up, we become gracious people, humble, generous, understanding others. We speak the truth in love, and we help them. A key to keeping this new outlook, the Christian outlook, I think, is the word brother that Jesus uses here at least a couple of times. You know, one of the words the Bible uses to talk about, uh, there are a lot of pictures of the church in the Bible, the people of God. One of the big ones that you're probably aware of is the church is called the family of God or the household of God. In fact, our Sunday morning sermon series this fall, the Lord willing, is going to be called Building the household of God, where we're going to look at 2 Timothy and Titus and see how can we grow at faith? How can we grow, continue to grow as brothers and sisters together serving our Heavenly Father? When we see others as family, we keep that image, that picture, brother, sister before us. That will help us have the biblical view of others, rather than those extremes. There's a faith church member who was in the city of Chicago, and as he waited to cross the road, a homeless person started talking and complaining very loudly, and this church member, he turned to look. The homeless person said, man, you people are evil. You're bad. I'm just asking and looking for help for something to drink for my daughter, and people won't talk to me. They won't even look at me. They're evil, man. 
church member said, they're not all evil. Where's your daughter? And he goes, they're, they're over, he, she's over there trying to talk to people. Then the church member gave him a couple dollars and said, here, get your daughter something to drink. And then he added this. Here's, he said this, here's the thing for me. Jesus tells me that when I see a brother in trouble, I need to help him. With those, that action, those words, this guy's demeanor totally changed. This is, he said, and I quote it, man, you just called me brother. The church member said, that's because you are my brother. We're all brothers. The guy said, you just totally changed my mind by calling brother. I can't feel anger towards you anymore for that. And the church member said, great, take care. And he shook his hand and he went back to the office. A miraculous turnaround. But you know what? I believe that when we live and when we act as Jesus calls us to, you know what? The Spirit is going to work in our lives, and the Spirit is going to work in the lives of those around us. This church member could, of course, had a very different attitude about the guy, thinking as he went by, thank Thank the Lord I had the smarts and the work ethic to pull myself up and buy a home in the suburbs and go to church so I didn't end up like him. That wasn't his attitude, I don't think. I think instead, and I know this guy, I think instead it was more likely this, aware of his own shortcomings, aware of God's grace for him. I believe his view was different. It made him say and think, brother, He's my brother. She's my sister. And this is the view of a disciple of Jesus as we look at those around us, especially those in the family of God, fellow believers, are our brothers and sisters in a very special way, but also every human being is our brother and sister by virtue of creation. Paul says in a sermon in Acts 17 to an unbelieving crowd in Athens, Greece, we are all God's offspring. We're all brothers and sisters. We all struggle. We all mess up. We all have those same genetic tendencies towards sin. But the grace of God can change us and heal us and save us, and that grace changes our lives. It changes our outlook. Out of God's grace, we view other people differently. And we can make a difference with Jesus' love. How about, how about you? Jesus is, is telling us how to live before, how we live before God's face and how we view others living before God's face. How do you view other people? How's your biblical balance? Do you need to be less critical, less hard on others, less harsh? Maybe on the other side, you need to be more discerning. Maybe God's convicting you to step up uh, your sense of right and wrong and, and, and how to live that out and shore things up. The more we realize the plank in our own eye and take it to God to be removed. In other words, the more we depend on God's grace ourselves, the more the Lord will calibrate our view of others towards the biblical balance of truth and his love.